Welcome to Brainstorms, Functional Neuro Rehab for SLPs, presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. This podcast is designed for the adult medical speech-language pathologist. Most of our audience members work in settings such as acute care hospitals, private practice, outpatient hospital clinics, and inpatient rehabilitation hospitals. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. The content of this course is based on the research and experience of the presenters. The listener is responsible for researching to determine if the information and skills taught are appropriate for their clients, students, or patients. SpeechTherapyPD.com does not necessarily endorse, recommend, or favor the information shared, nor any of the claims, opinions, statements, offers, or services made by the presenter. Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Renee Garrett and I'm your SpeechTherapyPD.com podcast host for Brainstorms, Functional Neuro Rehab for SLPs. Before we get started, we have a few items to alert you to. Each episode is 60 minutes and will be offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. For our guest tonight, Shari receives an honorarium for her participation in this podcast, and her non-financial disclosure is that she's spoken on this topic in a variety of venues. My financial disclosure is that as the host of this podcast, I receive an honorarium for this podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com. And my non-financial disclosure is that I am the current secretary for the Communication Disorders Foundation of Virginia. Now, without further ado, we welcome our guest, Dr. Shari Robertson. Shari Robertson, PhD, CCC SLP, is a speech-language pathologist who spent more than 20 years as a school-based SLP and special education administrator prior to moving to academia. She's the past president of the American Speech Language Hearing Association in 2019 and the owner of several businesses. Dr. Robertson has published numerous articles, book chapters, and clinical materials and presented hundreds of workshops at state, national, and international venues on a variety of topics, including leadership, mentoring, literacy development, counseling, imaginology, and self-care. Shari enjoys helping her colleagues find ways to nurture their professional and clinical skills, as well as their creative and entrepreneurial talents. So welcome tonight, Shari. So great to see you. Thank you. I'm just delighted to be here tonight. Good. So just to kind of get started, I want to share a little background story of how I met Shari, because it's a fun topic and it's how we actually sort of met initially in 2020. So it was March of 2020 at our Virginia State Conference, and Shari was speaking on Imaginology. She was our featured speaker, and about maybe 20 minutes or so before she went on to speak, and unbeknownst to most of our audience, our governor gave the mandate that we were to shut down the state. We were day half three quarters in to our state conference. And so I had to go after Shari did this amazing, inspirational talk to our membership that was very well attended and say, hey, it's so great you're here, but you got to get the heck out (laughs) because the governor has shut us down due to the pandemic. And so that's how we initially met because I had to go behind this inspiring, amazing talk and be the Debbie Downer of the whole stinking conference. Everybody go home. (laughs) Yeah, you can't stay here. And so the next time we met was actually at another, I can't remember if this was at our, yeah, this was at Virginia again, because I was sitting in the back of the room and she was speaking on the topic we're going to talk about tonight. And (laughs) She started talking about how the last time she was in Virginia was at that point, and the poor lady who had to come in and speak. And I was like, hey, <laughs> tis me, <laughs> tis me in the back that had to do that. So it's kind of a funny story because every time I think we run into each other, there's been a reason for it. And I always find that super interesting. So thank you for agreeing to do this. And thank you for being here tonight. I'm looking forward to it. 
So let's start off with just talking about some of the myths about burnout. I am happy to do that. I usually start when I talk about burnout talking about some myths because I think we we don't always have a really good idea about what burnout is, kind of who it affects. And so I always start off with some myth busting. So I think the the one I I want to start with tonight is that big myth that high achieving, creative, dedicated individuals like you all don't burn out. That if you are a high achieving and you work hard enough and you're dedicated, that you're not going to burn out. And not only is that a myth, burnout is actually exclusive to high achieving, passionate individuals who really strive to operate at peak performance like 24-7. And the reason it's exclusive to that group is because they care about what they do. People who don't care about what they do don't burn out. They don't care. It's the people who really, as I title this, you're just too good to feel this bad. It's because the very fact that you are fantastic, wonderful, awesome, that's what is actually putting us at risk of burnout. And I just want to say, this is one of my favorite sayings about burnout, that in order to burn out, you first have to have a burning passion. And if you don't have a burning passion, you won't burn out because, you know, the person who doesn't put any effort, they don't burn out. So that's a big one, Renee. That's one that when I've talked to people, they're like, oh, oh, so does that mean I shouldn't care? Well, no, that's not what I'm not saying at all. But that's a big one. I've actually got five I want to share with you. So you stop me. Otherwise, I'm going to go through the five because these are kind of the five big myths. So one is that if you're dedicated and you work hard, you're not going to burn out. Well, that's wrong. The second myth is that people who experience burnout hate their jobs, that the reason you're burnt out is that, that, that you hate your job. But that's really not the reality. Right. We'll talk about kind of how that goes together. But really, there's no correlation, you know, between your work environment and burnout or professional fatigue. They're, even though you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, but you could find burned out people in really fantastically psychologically safe workplaces. And then you can find them in more challenging environments. I know. I always wish I could be that person who like you come home and you don't think about your day and you just leave it all at work and you don't think about your patients and you don't think about what you could have done differently or maybe you had a challenging situation. It's really hard to, I think like you mentioned, when you're a high achiever, like a highly sensitive person, it's really hard to turn that off. And we're actually going to talk about that at the end. I'm going to give you some tips for that because that's the problem. Again, a large majority of the people who experience burnout actually love their job. I mean, they love their jobs. And that that's a really crazy fact that it actually makes sense if you think about it. But you're at an increased risk of burnout because you love your job. If you didn't love your job, it's kind of tied to the other one. You wouldn't work. Or you wouldn't burn out. <laughs> you wouldn't work. You wouldn't burn out. <laughs> what I was thinking about, though, when I said that is this is kind of a public service announcement. And I want you to hear this. Because you might be thinking, wait a minute, I'm working in this place that has unrealistic productivity standards. Our morale is terrible. The leadership isn't good. It's burning me out. Well, here's my little public service announcement that workplaces like that, that are high stress, that have, you know, unrealistic expectations, lack of autonomy, or maybe it's psychologically unsafe. Those are just bad places to work. They're just simply bad places to work. And if it's that bad, you need to seriously consider finding another place to work. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people sometimes think, oh, this place is causing me to burn out. Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah. That's just a bad place to work. And you're right. I'm glad you're like a poster child for what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause this just happened. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a long backstory, but my, my final straw was I got 
asked to, I was on bereavement leave and I got asked to cover a location I don't ever cover on a day I wasn't even scheduled to work the day before my mother-in-law's memorial service. And I said, you know why I'm out and I'm not scheduled to work and no, I'm not doing that. So when I returned to work the next week, I got written up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I got written up for being out morning. (laughs) So it's like, okay, I got to go. Sorry, I got to go. So I have told people I've had uh, just so some of you know, I actually have a counseling background as well as an SLP background. I'm also a certified life coach. So I've told people, you know, sometimes you really have to think, is this job worth what it's doing to me physically, emotionally, psychologically? And I've had people say, well, I can't find another job. And I say there is always a plan B. And Renee, you're the, you know, you're the poster child. You said, I can find something else where I can use my skills. And because a bad job is just a bad job. Mm-hmm. So, again, I'm, I have these little sayings. I'm going to put them through tonight. But this is another one I really like. So when a flower doesn't bloom because of a bad environment, you don't you, you change the environment. You don't change the flower. So you're a perfect flower. Right. But the environment Aww. was killing you. So we had to yes. once you moved into the environment where you could bloom, then you can bloom. So think of yourself, everybody, you know, as, as these perfect little flowers. If the flower doesn't bloom because the environment is bad, you change the environment. You don't change the flower. I love that. So kind of related to that is people think about, well, you know, burnout is kind of like inflicted on me by these job related or stressors. It's inflicted on me, but in all honesty, it's the result of self-inflicted prolonged exposure to stress hormones, and these affect us physically, psychologically, and emotionally, and again, it's because we are driven to be high-functioning that we inflict these stressors on ourselves. Somebody else can work in that environment, not give a darn, right? But we inflict this on ourselves, again, because we're high achieving. So that's kind of my, you know, again, my public service announcement for tonight. We have to think about where we fit within our job, where we fit in terms of the stressors that it's causing us and make some decisions. Now, I'm not telling everybody you should quit your job tonight. But if your job's that bad, (laughs) you do need to think about that. Here's two other quick myths and we'll move on. But one is that we can recognize when we're burning out. And the problem is most of us don't recognize when we're burning out. It's kind of a cumulative phenomenon. And when I talk in person, I kind of do this little demo with the frog going into the pot where the water, you know, is hot. You immediately, the frog jumps out, right? But if you put him in a pot and you slowly turn up the heat, he doesn't realize that he is boiling. It's cumulative. It's the same thing for us that we don't actually realize we're burning out until we're kind of this pile of ashes. And we often don't want to. We just think, if I can just push through, I'll just push through. It'll be fine. And we're so busy dealing with all of the things, either chasing success or just trying to get through life, that we don't realize we're burning out until we spontaneously combust. So we have to be thoughtful and we're going to talk, you know, maybe we can chat a little bit about some of those signs of burnout. That's an important thing. And the last one, and a lot of people think, well, burnout only happens to people who've been working in the professions for a long time, like mid-career professionals or people who've been around longer like I have. But that's not true. It can happen to anyone. I see grad students burnt out. I see early career professionals burnt out. So all of us go at risk. So this is something we need to know, understand, be vigilant about, and ensure that we take care of ourselves. Yeah, and I think that's a great point because we just sort of assume that a new grad or even a grad student or an early career professional shouldn't be that way. And that's not really a fair statement to make. And I, I think about you know, my husband is retired military, and when I got married and he was gone a lot of the time, deployments and things like that. And I remember people saying, well, you knew what you were getting yourself into. You shouldn't complain. No, you don't. don't. (laughs) It's like the profession. You can get a sense of it, but you really don't know what your life is going to look like and what your role is going to look like and how you're going to accept or not accept 
or be able to tolerate, you know, caregiving, because that's essentially what we are is is long range caregiving across these different variety of settings. And, you know, being a caregiver in and of itself, when you're thinking about direct caregiving to one other human is a lot. Right. And so I think when we're dealing with being a caregiver of sorts to multiple people, whether it's a colleague at home, your children, your grandchildren, your other family members, and then at work at all at the same time, that's that's a big responsibility and a big role. And I don't think it's something you can really be 100 percent or even 60 percent prepared for until you're in the fire. You're right. And the other thing. To be honest, as a university professor for many, many years, we actually set grad students up to burn out. I hate to say that, but it's true. And we need to spend more time with our pre-professionals and our early career professionals, teaching them about self-care because we set them up for it. So I used to teach a counseling class when I was at my university, I taught the counseling class and It was kind of just like a life class in many cases. What I taught them about working with others, they could apply to themselves as well. But we we are a profession that is very demanding from the get-go, and we kind of set them up for that. Yeah, yeah. I see that, too. And even my undergraduate students, the same thing, that a lot of times they are so worried about getting into graduate school and and what's the next step and how are we going to, how am I going to get in? And I only have 102% in your class and I wanted 103. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, calm yep. down, you're fine. And I think that's a good segue to talk about the difference between stress and then what that looks like in terms or in, in comparison to burnout, because it's, those are two different things. Absolutely. So people think about stress and burnout, and they are related, but they're not the same thing. Because we walk around you know, thinking, oh, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed. And that's a very different thing. So let me just give you a little kind of compare and contrast. So burnout is the result of unrelenting stress, from unrelenting stress. That's what burnout comes from, it, but it's not the same. Because stress is physiologically meant to be a, a short-term solution to an immediate problem. So like, you know, if the uh, if the cave lion is about to eat you, you either beat it with a club or you run away. So you have enough adrenaline to manage that. Now, in real life, our cave lion might be something like, you know, our supervivors are walking in and saying, you know, you have to take the next five patients and, you know, whatever. And we are not given the option to, you know, beat them with a club or run away. So we literally (laughs) bathe our bodies in these stress hormones, these flight or fight hormones that are in there. So it's called the reptile brain. The amygdala is stimulated to, you know, to, to flood these hormones, to run away or fight. And in the short term, some stress can be good for us because it makes us like meet deadlines or deal with a traumatic situation. You know, sometimes if you've been in a situation where, you know, you had to handle an emergency, we typically can manage it in the moment and it's afterwards that we kind of just fall apart. So stress, those hormones give us that boost, right? So it's physiologically meant to be a short-term solution to a media problem. And typically we know when we're under too much stress. People will say, Oh, I just I you know, I just feel so stressed. And but you can still function. You can still be creative and problem solve when you're stressed. And you can still imagine that, you know, once I get my life under control, it's going to be fine. So you have this mindset of, you know, this is I call it the purgatory effect. Once I get through this you know, then I'll be okay again. So when you're stressed, you are flooded with these hormones, but you can still function, like you can still manage from day to day. So that's meant to be a short-term solution. Burnout, on the other hand, happens over a long period of time. And it happens from this long-term exposure to these stress hormones. If you keep flooding your body with these stress hormones that are meant to solve short-term problems, you are setting yourself up for being burnout. So one way I kind of compare and contrast, think of it this way is stress involves too much. It's like 
too much, too many pressures that demand too much of you mentally and emotionally. Okay? It's just too much. Burnout is about not enough. You literally are burnt out. You have no energy left. So you're empty, you're physically numb, you're exhausted, you don't have any motivation. And sometimes you just literally stop caring. Like, I just don't care anymore. I just don't care. So stress is too much. Burnout, you just have nothing left. It's just nothing left. And burned out people can't think about, they don't function and they can't think, oh, it's all going to be okay eventually. You know, this is going to be okay when I get through this. So, you know, stress can actually kill you because of it, it can cause, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, strokes, all sorts of things. It truly can kill you. But burnout may make you feel like you don't care if you want to live anyway. So that's kind of the way. So burnout is the result of this long-term exposure to stress hormones. I'm thinking about it as a like a, a correlation. And again, just because my mother-in-law passed in November and she had Alzheimer's. And so it's like thinking about the caregiver stress for different family members. And it's sort of the same thing. You expect this modicum of stress, but then when it becomes more of a burnout or like a a clinical depression kind of thing where you're just depleted, it's very similar. And I think that's a good correlation because you go through these stages of that in caregiving, but then in your professional and your personal life, I think those stages of burnout are also present. And so can you kind of talk us through the stages of burnout? I can. I do want to say another way I think of burnout, and then we'll get to the stages is, you know, stressed, you're like frantic, you know, you're like, ah, and burnout, you're worn out, you're stressed out, you're checked out, you're just done. Like you just are done. And that's that's the difference between stress. I think of like, ah, and burnout is just like, you know, you just don't care anymore. So you're right. So when I think about the stages of burnout, I put them in stages for the way that makes sense to me. But they are the stages. I just name them in a way that makes sense to me. So I call the first stage the flicker stage when you're just, you know, you're just kind of flickering around the edges. And when you're in the flicker state stage, you have these early signs that come and go. Your energy is sometimes depleted. You feel stressed sometimes, but you just push through it. And this is a really important thing you're going to hear me say. This stage, which can be one to five years or even more, it takes this flicker. You can flicker for a long time. But this is when perfectionism becomes ingrained in your lifestyle because there is a massive correlation between a perfectionistic tendencies and eventual burnout. So this is when I talk about we set our students up for burnout is because they learn to be like perfectionists and we reward them for that, that we're literally setting them up for burnout. So flicker stage you know, you sometimes you're just stressed out, but you get over it. You might get headaches. Sometimes you might just get, you know, things like that. But you're just flickering and you could stay in flicker for a long time. On the next stage, I call the smolder stage. And in smoldering, here's where your energy kind of starts to get wonky. And you'll see some pretty substantial blips in your physical health. Like I actually found myself at this stage during COVID. Because I woke up one morning and I couldn't open my jaw and I realized I'd been grinding my teeth and I've never done that in my life. I'd never been. So, but teeth grinding, you might have like neck and back pain. You might have, oh, I don't know, occasional meltdowns. Sometimes your lifestyle begins to center more on work than home if we're talking about professional burnout. But your lifestyle, you, you lose, you begin to lose that play and, and leisure time. And you think about as being a professional caregiver, you did not have time to like get out and ride your bike. And the things that brought you joy, those begin to diminish during the smolder stage. And think about during COVID, how a lot of us weren't able to do those things, even to like be with those we love. So a lot of people were smoldering. And this brought it to a head. A lot of people during COVID brought a lot of this to the surface. So in the smolder stage can last a year or two. And I'm going to mention this right now that I'm telling you the stages, but they don't have to be linear. 
You don't have to just because you're flickering, you're not going to burn out. You can change it and reverse it. But if you don't do something, you're going to go from flickering to smoldering to the third stage, which I call the big boom, spontaneous combustion, where things get crazy just like really, really fast. And and you go to, you know, mostly good, kind of good to like really bad all of a sudden. So you're smoldering, you know, you're stressed out, you got way too much stress, you're grinding your teeth, your neck hurts, your back hurts, your blood pressure's going up. But then you hit this combustion stage and you find yourself like just a pile of ashes. Like you can't even get off the couch. You can't think about solving problems. You can't, you know, your creative juices have dried up. You are just burnt. You're just burnt. And we don't want anybody to get to that stage. Every time I do this talk, though, there are people in the audience who raise their hand and say, yeah, I've been there. Now, I'll have people say, I'm smoldering. <laughs> or I'll sometimes have people say, I'm here because I want to help the, I'm a supervisor. I want to help the people that I lead or I'm a leader not get into that, that stage. And then you, if you hit burnout, you've got to eventually be the phoenix that comes up out of the ashes. So that's the fourth stage where you begin to take those first steps back and you're scarred, you know, and you're scared. But you realize at that point, you're going to have to change something. And that's the big thing. You have to change in order to move forward. And then the last stage, which can take months to several years, is when you, again, become fully recharged. You're back to where you were, where you're, you know, you're, you've got your energy back. You're excited about your professional and your personal pursuits, your optimism, your health returns, you know, and, and you realize how important taking care of yourself is. So five stages. Flickering, that's a long stage. Smoldering is a year or two or sometimes shorter. Spontaneous combustion just poof. And you can stay burned out for a long time if you don't do anything about it. You can stay burned out forever if you don't do anything about it. But eventually you want to become a phoenix who kind of rises from the ashes and then back to your normal self. So or better. So those are the five stages as I think about them, Renee. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And you mentioned some of the physical and the psychological and even the behavioral signs. Is there anything else in those three realms that you want to touch on? Yeah, so there really are three realms. And when you're thinking about, you know, maybe you are a leader that's listening tonight and you're thinking about, I want to be mindful of the people that I'm a supervisor for or I lead, whatever, what should I be looking for and what should I be paying attention to? But Physically, you're just kind of tired all the time, like all the time. You're tired and drained. You get up in the morning and you're ready to go back to bed. Now, we all feel like that sometimes. <laughs> we have an ice storm coming tomorrow. I'm seriously thinking that's what I might choose to do. But you also are going to get your immunity is not as good. And you have a lot of illnesses and you'll have these you know, muscle pains, headaches. You might have digestive issues like acid reflux. You might get heart palpitations or insomnia that you can't sleep. So those are some of the physical signs. And honestly, the physical part of burnout is the one that will stop you first because it literally kind of like your body, if you don't pay attention, your body, I always say your body kind of picks you up and throws you against the guardrail and says, pay attention because I'm about to explode. So the physical ones where you begin to be so exhausted and you feel so literally sick and tired and achy, all of those things, the physical ones will often stop you first. Sometimes people call this tired but wired because your adrenals are kicked in or have kicked in so long that you're exhausted, but you can't rest. So you just, you know, you're exhausted, but you, you can't because you're bathed in these stress hormones. You like pickled yourself. So you're <laughs> nodding. <laughs> you're nodding. So, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And again, I think that caregiving, I think, is, again, the perfect example for that, because you give so much of yourself and you kind of don't realize it until it's over. And it, it's not a negative place to be, but 
It's just a fact. And I think, again, when you go back to being a graduate student, I can remember being a graduate student and I went back as a second career person and had a teenager and a preteen. Yikes. And I can remember being in grad school and being like, I don't know how in the Hello Kitty I'm going to get all this done. Right. And so we do really there's a lot of pressure and a lot of kind of roll with the punches stuff, but the it's not an easy program and it's not, it's not easy. I think we, again, I think we tend to push through because we are people who want to do the best we can do. We are typically overachievers or at least really great achievers. And we, and we really try to push through and it is really important to learn what this looks like and how we can mitigate a lot of these signs and symptoms and, and realize that this is what's happening. Is it typical? Yes. But is it what we should be expecting? Maybe not, because maybe we can move into more of that. How do we fix it kind of thing? And is the burnout inevitable? Like you mentioned before, once you start to flicker, does that mean your flickering is eventually going to turn into that whole big spontaneous combustion burnout? Well, no. If you are able to recognize it, we can reverse it. And I want to talk about that in just a minute, how we reverse it. So that's why it's important to recognize these stages and recognize some of these symptoms. So psychologically, so we talked about physical, psychologically, you're going to see things like panic attacks, self-doubt, feeling like you're kind of alone in the world or helpless or trapped. You have a lack of motivation, really cynical, negative, that kind of thing, and a decreased sense of like satisfaction and accomplishment in what you do. And then here's the big one for me is a loss of joy and creativity, because you know me, Renee, I'm all about the importance of creativity. And there's actually all sorts of studies that link stress reduction and creativity that you can reduce your stress through creative pursuits. But if you get to the point where you don't want to do that anymore, it's really hard to move forward. And then in terms of the behavioral ones, you'll see people that are burned out just begin to withdraw from responsibilities and begin to isolate themselves. You might see food or drugs or alcohol. You know, we talk about eating our feelings or drinking our feelings or anger outbursts, taking it out on other people or skipping work, coming in late. And just, again, no longer engaging in hobby or leisure activities. So all of those things, when you put all those together, that's pretty significant. And a lot of us think we might be burned out when we're just really getting, we're probably in the smolder stage. Burnout is a serious condition and something we need to take seriously and think about how we can shield ourselves from that. Yeah, and I think we saw that a lot again during the pandemic and kind of afterwards as well, where we heard a lot about it in the media. People were burnt out. They were quietly quitting. They were leaving their job. They were doing these other pursuits. And and that's not in, you know, meshing with what we're talking about with burnout, because with burnout, you wouldn't have the capability necessarily to do that immediately, just leave the whole profession and do something super creative. And passionate immediately afterward, there would be a a lag time or a period of time where you weren't able just, you know, physically, psychologically, behaviorally, you weren't able to do that. And so I think that kind of leads us into the corrupted success cycle and what that looks like and how we address that. So that's a big part of burnout for many people because we're high achievers. It's a little different in personal burnout when you're talking about, you know, being a personal caregiver is a little different than professional burnout, which is what I'm addressing a little bit more tonight. A lot of it can apply to both. But in professional burnout, one of the things that happens is because we are high achievers, we care about what we do, or we wouldn't be in this profession. And so we have to really think about how we are taking care of ourselves and our energy levels. So I talk to people a lot about a corruptive success cycle, and I see it in high achievers all the time. So in a normal success cycle, there's like a 
beginning point and an end point. So you have a goal. It could be a professional goal, a personal goal. You start here and you use some stress sometimes to get you to your goal here. And when you get to that goal, you say, woo, 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 you celebrate, you take time to feel happy, successful, satisfaction. And that allows the stress hormones to decrease. And then it, you're ready, you set another goal and you start again. So I'm going to use my finger, but it's basically, you know, your stress levels go up, 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 you reach your goal and then you let them dissipate. And then you set a new goal and your stress levels that you push yourself to get it done and then it goes down. The problem I see happening a lot in professional burnout and people who are really high achievers is, well, we've been trained to be addicted to busy in our culture. When you talk to people, they say, how are you? What do you always say? Fine. I'm fine. And I'm just really busy. I'm just busy, yeah, busy, busy. And every place we get, we are like bombarded with these messages about our value is tied to how busy we are and that we're filling our time up in our minutes and things like that, right? So we kind of are, I call this addicted to busy. And somehow it's gotten equated with our intrinsic value for a lot of us that we have to be busy all the time. I call addicted to busy one of the two <laughs> gateway drugs to burnout is being addicted to busy. The other is perfectionism. So what happens when we feel like we have to be busy all the time and that we can't stop is that our success cycle, instead of having an end point or a beginning and an end, we start here. And as soon as we reach here, we immediately focus on the next goal. And we don't take time to celebrate that, to feel good about ourselves and to move forward. We just keep working instead of taking the downtime that our bodies and our minds, we psychologically, emotionally, physically need. It's that literal, like, you know, the hamster on the wheel or the, the carrot that you put in front of the donkey. If you never take time to celebrate your successes and take that downtime, you are on the road to burnout. I see that so much with really high achievers. And again, most of my colleagues in SOP are high achievers. It's like, what can I do next? What can I do next? That's fantastic. But you've got to take time to have an end, celebrate that, let everything dissipate, go ride a bike or spend some time doing something before you think, okay, what's the next big thing? And I just see people going from peak to peak to peak until they eventually just crash. So that's called the corrupted success cycle. And I see that all the time. If you aren't doing that, good for you. But I'll guarantee you'll see people around you doing that. Yeah. And I think, again, like you mentioned, most of us as SLPs and our colleagues that we know who are, you know, doing state leadership and national leadership and advocacy efforts and doing fundraising for scholarships or other charitable endeavors or you know, even volunteering at their church, their local community, whatever that looks like, I think you can sort of become easily into that cycle because you're like, oh, I did this. This was really cool. Let's do this. And then you have this other opportunity that pops up and you don't want to say no because it's someone that maybe mentored you or you look up to or you, you're like, oh my gosh, if I say no, this may never happen again. And and we get into that whole thing and maybe talking about myself, but, <laughs> but it does kind of happen that way. And, you know, when you're thinking about job, like the job thing was really difficult for me, particularly because of the patients I serve in the geographical area in which they would have access to services changes drastically for them. And that was the hardest part for me to say, okay, I'm done because I didn't want to leave the patients underserved or unserved because they don't deserve that. But then you have to come to the point where you realize that that's beyond your control. And that took me about nine months to to really come to terms with it. Because my bless my poor husband, he kept saying, you got to go. Like, you got to go. You can't fix this. But I think we have that fix it mentality in this field. And we are, again, we are caregivers 
just in the field. That's what we do. We take care of other people. We try to educate other people. We try to empower them and advocate for them. And, and that's a great thing. It's great. Like, I love that part of my job, but it can be something where if we give so much of ourselves and we're not putting back into ourselves, you know, we heard a lot about self-care during the pandemic and afterwards. And I was watching something this morning and it was a famous musician who has a book that's coming out that he talks about his self-care, but he broke it down into he didn't call it mental health. He called it, I can't remember now, it was mental something else, not even healthcare. It was more like he needed to start his day with this set of positive things that were important to him versus going straight to social media or watching the news or those sort of traditional things that we all find ourselves doing first thing in the morning. And he was talking about how that for him doesn't set his day up for success. And that he needed that space and that time to set sort of the intention for the day. And I think that's a really good segue into talking about those components of self-care that can stop or reverse that cycle when we're looking at moving towards burnout. Yeah, I think that we'll want to spend a little time on that because as we talk about, we're kind of our own worst enemy in some ways. I, I want to mention something that made me think when you were talking, Renee, when I do my stress workshops, one of the things I have people do is make a their to-do list. I give them like three minutes and I say, write down everything that would be on your to-do list, right? Just write it all down. Or if you have your list, pull it out. And then I have them look at the list and say, okay, what's on this list that you put there, not somebody else who like, you know, says like your boss says you should do it or you need to do it for your kids or your husband or your church or whatever. What's on there that's just for you? And 99.9% of the people do not have something on their list that's for their own self-care, mental health, building resiliency. And so when we do those workshops, we spend a lot of time, like you said, thinking about yeah, I enjoy all of these things, but what's there for building my own resilience? And that's kind of what I think he's talking about is that psychological resilience where you have to figure out what works for you. So when we talk about recovering from burnout or building resistance to burnout, if you are smoldering and if you've burnt out, (laughs) you first have to admit that you got the problem. And that can be really hard for high achievers. It You somehow are embarrassed or you think you're less than because you burnt out or that you can't handle it all. And I've had people who are clearly burned out, literally dragging themselves saying, I'm fine. I'm fine, which is what we do. And as women, we're even worse at that. I mean, I don't mean to generalize, but in general, women are caretakers for everyone. Some great men caretakers too, but somehow we've got that in our psyches. We have to take care of everybody else first. So you have to admit there's a problem that you are nearing burnout. And then you have to truly commit to taking care of yourself and across these three areas. So that's the physical area, the psychological area, and then the emotional and spiritual area, which I really consider building resilience, that you don't have to do that. So burnout doesn't happen in a day, so you can't fix it in a day. So you have to do small things every day. So it happens daily. Recovery happens daily, but it doesn't happen in a day. So you have to it's just like losing weight, right? We can't lose it over. We can't, we gained it over this amount of time. We have to get rid of it over that amount of time. And, and so we have to do something every day on your to-do list that's for you. So physically, if people are combusted, if you've really gotten to the point where you are like burnt out, you have to go back to the basics because you are in such poor health that you've got to first deal with the physical piece of it. And the the problem with this is if you go to a doctor and tell them, you know, I've I've got all of these symptoms, doctors and nothing against MDs, but they are not trained to figure out to deal with this underlying problem. They're trained to give you, you know, medication or whatever. We have to manage this ourselves. We might need some help from an MD, but we have to figure out how to manage this. So when our bodies again are like burnt out. They're just a breeding ground for disease. So you're going to do see things like uh, chronic headaches and 
physical lapse. I mentioned it earlier, you know, heart problems, high blood pressure, because those are toxic waste that is from all of this stress. Okay. So physically, there's really only three things you have to think about physically. Three things. Sleep, eat, move. And you may think, well, that's pretty basic. Yep. It's very basic. But you have to go back to basics. And the sleep, I'm telling you right now, everybody who's listening, you need more sleep. You know you need more sleep, but we need more sleep. And if you're burned out, you need a lot more sleep. The research says that if you've burned out, you need eight to 10 hours of sleep plus naps. And you think, who's got time for that? On the other hand, if you burned out, you can't afford, excuse me, afford not to have time for that. So you have to think about sleep. And then, then of course, people are like, but I can't sleep because I'm tired but wired. I lay there and my brain is going 100 miles an hour, right? I wish I could see people because I can. I know people are nodding right, <laughs> right now because we've all had that. Most of us are sleep deprived because we don't schedule enough sleep time. And when we get there, we don't do a very good job sleeping. So you, you have to figure out what works for you. The typical ones are, you know, the consistent bedtime, no screens, which is really hard. That's kind of like the guy was talking about. We can't have our screens before bed. Caffeine, we got to get rid of that. Some people, and this is something you mentioned too, will help them sleep if they write down just before they go to bed, like thoughts or gratitude or worries and put them aside. That can help. I am a big proponent of sleep apps. I have one that I use called Sleeping Pill that (laughs) when I can't sleep, I listen to. They have this track of like monks who are chanting in this certain, um, and I'll tell you what, two minutes of that and I'm out. But we do have to think (laughs) about what works for you. So if anybody wants that, you can email me. I'll give you that at the end and I'll tell you what that is. I think it's isochronic tones at two hertz or something like that puts me right out. So we've got to sleep more. We have to eat. And you might be thinking, oh, she's going to tell me I have to like, you know, go to Weight Watchers, follow a good diet. I'm not telling you that at all. When you're burned out is actually not the time to try to lose weight. You just need to eat and you want to do your best to have healthy foods. But you also have to nurture your soul. So when you're burnt out, this is not the time to try to lose weight when you're truly burnt out. You have to get everything else together. But you do have to eat. Chocolate isn't bad. and Occasional chocolate will get you through. But think about eating good food. Just try not and not getting all stressed out about a few extra pounds. Just don't like don't eat the whole bag of Cheetos in one sitting if you can help <laughs> And then the <laughs> dark chocolate has antioxidant, so it's good for you. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a chocolatier. We used to own a chocolate shop, so I still make chocolate. So, and then the last thing is to move. But I'm not talking about hardcore exercise. That's like the worst thing you could do when you're burnt out. A little light yoga, walking, things like that, because you're already in the state of like negative energy, so you don't want to overdo it. So sleep, eat, move. You might think, oh, that's pretty basic. It's pretty basic, but we forget to do that when we are not taking good care of ourselves. So that's physically. And then psychologically, oh, I want to mention something, by the way. You were talking about doing all of these things. I don't want to forget to say this. We need to remember sometimes that we're human beings, not human doings. And sometimes we need to just stop doing and just be. And one of the things we talk about for the psychological piece of this, I'm looking at what time it is, okay, is to just sit and do nothing. See how long you can stand it. I will tell you that it's really hard for many of us to just sit and do nothing. And I've learned to do this. I've forced myself to just sit and do nothing. But the way I got myself through it at the beginning was just to say, you could stop doing nothing if you can't stand doing nothing. But now I can literally do about 10 minutes of just doing nothing and nothing. And it has really recharged me. So that's one of the ways to do that. But another thing I want you to think about is let's talk about resiliency and making sure we don't burn out. I've mentioned this before, but I want you to really think about how detrimental perfectionism is to us as an individual, because we're human beings and we are not perfect. 
It's an artificial construct. It's a useless construct. And when we strive for that constant perfectionism, like you said, your students are like, well, I only have 102%. I want 103%. We can't be perfect. And perfectionism is so highly correlated with burnout. And we're so bad at worrying about whether we're perfect or not. I just want you to put this one in your head. This is my next little mantra is don't judge me. I'm awesome, not perfect. And I just want you all to think about that. You are awesome, not perfect. Stop trying to be perfect because you can't be perfect. And that is one huge way to build resilience against burnout is stop worrying about perfect. So those two gateway drugs, being too busy and being addicted to being busy and trying to be perfect. So those are two of the big ones. Yeah. And I think too, like you mentioned things like yoga, if you've ever been someone who maybe, maybe you don't practice it daily or weekly or monthly or whatever, but if you've ever been to a yoga class or don't try to do it on your own, one of the things that you learn pretty quickly is, well, two things you learn pretty quickly. One is the breath work is incredible. And it does sort of take you into doing what seems like nothing, but it's allowing your body and your mind to sort of like float away. And then the other part is the emotions that come up when you're doing that is I always heard about it and I was like, whatever. (laughs) And then during the pandemic is when I started like doing it more regularly. And it was like, sometimes at the end of my practice, I would be like sobbing (laughs) because it brought up so much stuff that I had experienced at work that day or the things that I had seen that I couldn't unsee because I was working in acute care the whole pandemic. And so I think that's a really good point. It doesn't have to be yoga, but it needs to be something where you can sort of like cleanse your mind, your body, your soul, like you said, be that sort of like do nothing. Because sometimes doing nothing is where you are able to come up with those more creative ideas and sort of replenish yourself and be more available. And I think that's the big thing with all of this is that, you know, when you're like you said, when you're burnt out, you're not available, you're not even available to yourself, much less to anyone else. And so if you can figure out those what seems like it's so simple, but sometimes those simple things are the really hard, the really hard things, right? And that sort of helps you build that resiliency too to prevent that full-blown burnout. Here's another tip that I talk a lot about is I used to actually do workshops on time management. I don't do them anymore. I do workshops now on energy management. Instead of managing your time, I want people to think about managing their energy. And I, we probably did this in the, if you were in my session, Renee, but one of the things I'll have people do at a session is say, I want you to hold your arm straight out from your shoulder. And maybe at home, you'll do this with me and think about having a full glass of water, or <laughs> I always say, put a glass of wine in there, hold it straight <laughs> out from your shoulder like that. And then I continue talking and say, so how long can you hold it there? You know, 30 seconds. That's not bad. What about after a minute? What about after five minutes? How long can you hold that? And after a while, you know, your arm's going to start to shake, your shoulder's going to hurt. But if you literally put it down every minute and pick it up again, you're going to be able to hold it a lot longer than if you do just try to go straight through. And, and so I use that demonstration because it's really important when we're working or when we're working on anything is that you take time to schedule regular breaks. And you can't work through without taking a break. And I know this is really hard in some work settings because, you know, your productivity is like you have to get all of this stuff done. But try to schedule even just short breaks. And you were talking about yoga. It doesn't have a yoga is great. Doesn't have to be yoga, but you need to schedule times if you can walk or go stand and stretch against the wall. Find a, what's called a sit spot where you just sit. Even if you only have two or three minutes where you just sit and do nothing, sit spots outside are better than inside, but, or doing some breathing. You know, when I was working in the schools and I was pregnant, I used to take power naps. I could literally sleep for eight minutes 
were between when the kids were, you know, I had an eight minute break. I learned to put my head down and sleep for eight minutes. And that was enough just to kind of give my brain a chance to break. So we need to schedule breaks religiously. And if you're working on another project, IEPs or writing a report or whatever it is, Every 15 minutes or 30 minutes, you need to stop and do something else because it's really critical to give your brain that break, just like your arm with the wine glass. You can do a lot more if you take a break. My favorite ones, I, I, I get up and I dance and sing, both of them very badly. And even if I have to sing to myself, I do that because it, it gets my, my body moving and it makes me laugh because I'm so bad at it. So, but and, and a lot of times I'll hear people say, I can't do it. I can't take a break. I absolutely can't do that. I don't have time. But here's what the research says. Just like the wine glass, you're going to be more productive if you give yourself those just even micro breaks. 15 to 30 minutes is ideal, but I'll take 30 seconds to two minutes where your brain does something different than, than what the same thing over and over again. So it's really critical to take those breaks. One other one I know we're running out of time I want to mention is take doing what I call a transition routine from work. So when you come home from work, if you've got kids or family, whatever, you need to have a transition from work to home. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. You can, <laughs> one of them is just change out of your work clothes change out of your work clothes so now you're home. So you have a transition time. You were talking about always thinking about things. I've actually taught people to put a box by the door and I want you to psychologically take work, put it in the box, close the box, and then leave it there and then open the box before you go to work the next day. So visualize that you are leaving work home. Another one, if you can do it, and I'm talking quickly because I know we're running out of time. This one's so important, especially you got kids or whatever, is I call alone time. And my mom was an SLP. She was one of the first SLPs. She's now 97, bless her soul. She would work all day and then come home. We had a farm. There were four kids. She would go in her bedroom, shut the door for 20 minutes. And we knew as kids, we better not knock on that door unless somebody was dying or the house was on fire. And then we needed to think twice. So she came home and she had 20 minutes that was hers alone. And then she'd come out and she was a fantastic, wonderful, present mom. And good for her to train us to do that. Because a lot of times we come home and our kids are clamoring at us. We're trying to get him to places. So we need to think about transition from work so that we move that out. Another couple, two other things and about what I want you to think about in terms of building resilience. One is to find positive people to hang out with, guys. When you hang out with negative people, like there's two ways you can go. They drag you down to them or you have to like drag them up to you. When you find positive people to hang out with, like the synergy of that really builds resilience. And I can see you nodding, Renee, because like when I go to conventions, we all come back feeling so much better, right? Because we're hanging out with these positive people. That's a huge one. Last one is I want you to figure out how you can reclaim your joy. And I realized when I was smoldering, getting close to burnout, that I had stopped feeling joyful and I had stopped doing the things that brought me joy. So there's two things. One is we've all heard of triggers. There's a new thing called glimmers that they say, and a glimmer is finding something in your day that brings your happiness, joy, or peace, and paying attention to it. Because they say the more you look for those, the more you'll see those. So start looking for your glimmers. I spent the day today being a granny nanny to my 18-month-old grandbaby. And my glimmer today was she has learned how to, she knows about the Alexa. And she sees her mommy and daddy saying, you know, Alexa, play wheels on the bus. <laughs> she doesn't call it Alexa. She calls it I suck. I suck. <laughs> so that was my glimmer today. I just, you know, and those are the things you'll remember. And the other one is to just do something outrageous. Just do something again like that brings you joy. I literally just bought a two-year-old Arabian Andalusian horse that I'm going to train as a 65-year-old lady 
he and I are starting our journey. I mean, we're talking, yeah, that I've had horses before, but I thought maybe I was done showing. And I just decided as I watched my daughter show her Arabian, I've been trainer and groom and cheerleader. I'm thinking, I want to do that again. So I have a young, a young horse who's my outrageous thing. And that, and I just walked the Camino Trail from Porto, Portugal to Santiago, Spain. So anyone who wants to hear about that, I'll tell you that at a, a later time. But those are yeah, really- to talk. Yeah. The last one is just don't forget to laugh. Laughing is the best thing for releasing stress. And if we were together, we'd do some laughter yoga. It's one, and we're running out of time, but laughter yoga, if you haven't looked into it, best thing ever. So those are the some of the ways we can build resilience. And it's really, again, about making sure that we take care of ourselves as well as we take care of those who are under our care. Well, you are magnificent. And I'm so grateful that you came on tonight and shared all of this with us. I bought a lamp today. That was my outrageous thing. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just, I love that you bring these practical things for all of us that, you know, are doable, they're manageable. And so just to kind of wrap up and again, Shari, we'll be in touch and I look forward to seeing you in a couple of months. And thank you so much. So anybody who has a question or something I mentioned today, you'd like more information on, put shari.robertson at outlook.com. I'd be happy to share the sleep app, other kinds of things. And again, it was quick. It was fun. It was a few little things, but I hope it made you think about number one, you are awesome. Number one, you are worth taking care of. And number three, we can do this. Yeah. Thank you. Good to see you. Take care. If you have indicated that you are part of the ASHA registry and entered both your ASHA number and a complete address in your account profile prior to the course completion, we will submit earned CEUs to ASHA. Please allow one to two months from the completion date for your CEUs to be reflected on your ASHA transcript. Thank you for joining us at today's podcast. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe.